Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Dr. Gregory Scott Brown says mental health is the driving force behind every decision we make, how we live, work, and love. He wants to help us all move past outdated notions of broken brains and chemical imbalances. Sure, prescription drugs and talk therapy can be important, but he thinks lifestyle interventions are also a key part of the equation. He even believes in the therapeutic value of yoga. Dr. Brown is a board-certified psychiatrist and affiliate faculty member of the University of Texas Dell Medical School. In fact, we had to end our interview so he could get back to his patients. Listen to his advice and insight about actionable self-care and let it put the power of healing back in your control. I'm Wes Moss. The prevailing thought in America is that you'll never have enough money and it's almost impossible to retire early. Actually, I think the opposite is true. For more than 20 years, I've been researching, studying, and advising American families, including those who started late, on how to retire sooner and happier. So my mission with the Retire Sooner podcast is to help a million people retire earlier while enjoying the adventure along the way. I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's get started. Let's start with this, Dr. Brown, which is the definition of mental health. And you look at it a little bit differently. Yes. You talk about redefining mental health. Tell me about what is it? How do you define it? I think that is an excellent question. And people may look at this as a matter of semantics. I don't think it is, right? And so the reason being is most people, when I ask them what they think about when they think about mental health, they're thinking depression, anxiety, suicide, ADHD. They think about these diagnoses. They think about things that can happen if we don't take care of our mental health. Those are really important things, Wes, to think about. But it's also important to understand that even if you've never been diagnosed with a mental illness like depression or anxiety, or you haven't thought about suicide in explicit terms, which I think would apply to many people who are listening to this show, that mental health is still for you right? It's still important for you to pay attention to it. And so the definition I offer to many of my patients and the definition I offer in the book is mental health is the idea of living with purpose, balance, contentment, and hope. So those four things. And if we have that, then we're on the path to living with mental health. Again, your book, The Self-Healing Mind. Yes. An essential five-step practice for overcoming anxiety and depression and revitalizing your life. Again, it's almost as though we think of our physical health, we think, well, just because we, let's say you don't have a disease, Mm -hmm. just because you don't have cancer or heart disease or diabetes, you don't have something. It doesn't mean we don't think about keeping ourselves healthy. Right. But it's almost as if with mental health, you only think of your mental health if there's a problem. It's like, oh, well, if you have anxiety, depression, then you're going to fix it. We don't really talk about, let's keep my brain, my mental well-being healthy mm-hmm. in any given day. I just, you don't really hear about it. Is that part of what you're talking about? It's absolutely correct. I mean, think about how many of us have gym memberships or during the pandemic, how many of us in, uh, invested in buying Pelotons, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's this idea of physical 
health is this idea of strength and fitness, right? Um, and vitality. But when we think about mental health, again, we're thinking about this clinical scenario. Um, and so, you know, some people would even argue that we need to think about mental health in terms of mental fitness, just like we yeah. think about physical fitness, right? So that we can maintain um, our mental health and do what the th do the things we need to do in order to uh, you know keep ourselves mentally strong as well. Yeah, nobody's told me how to lift weights with my brain. <laughs> Maybe we'll figure that out today a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Again, he, an enormous piece of the equation to be able to end up in the happy camp, and we study happy versus unhappy retirees and the habits that are different between those two groups. But clearly, the happy group has a high sense of purpose mm -hmm. quotient. Unhappy group has a, a pretty low sense of purpose quotient. How do we end up with that sense of purpose for somebody who's kind of getting into a post-career? You know, I just talked to a long, long-term family that I've worked with for, I don't know, 15 years. And the husband just retired May 1. And here we are a couple weeks later. And he was just saying, it's been a weird month. Like, you know, the first month I'm waking up without a long list to do, like the first time I can kind of quote, not think about anything. But how do you end up counseling people? Or, or what's just your advice on finding a purpose, finding core pursuits, which are, we call, these are kind of the hobbies on steroids that may give us some purpose potentially. How do you suggest we do that and find it? I think you got it on the nose when you were talking to me earlier. I asked, you know, I'm 38 years old. Is there hope for me when it comes to retirement? You said, as long as you're thinking about it, there is, right? And that's something that actually in this short conversation so far has gotten me a little bit fired up, right? That's what purpose is all about. It's not a destination. It's a process, right? So when I counsel my patients about purpose, it's all about getting fired up about the journey, um, deciding what it is that you've always dreamed of or what you aspire to do, and then coming up with concrete steps um, to how you're going to get there and enjoying every single second of that journey, enjoying the setbacks in enjoying the successes and realizing that that's part of that process. That's what purpose is all about. I think part of it is that when you're working 24 seven, right. And you got, you've already said you have two jobs. I got two jobs. A I feel like I have more work. than two jobs, Wes. I mean, yeah, <laughs> you, you probably, both probably have like three or four. <laughs> yeah. I actually at one point had three separate key cards on my key ring. Yeah. And, and I, I realized it was impacting my mental fitness. It was, yeah. and I remember thinking like, I got to get rid of one of these key cards or else I'm, I am going to be stuck in yeah. the unhappy retiree soup. And now fortunately I've managed it down to two, two. Uh, back in 2020, you had a, if our audience doesn't know about common, but he's a rap superstar. Mm -hmm. uh, you talked to common about mental health. What did you, what'd you learn from him? Oh my goodness. So Common is a remarkable person who has a remarkable story. Again, um, one of the reasons why, and I'm, again, I'm just fortunate uh, to Men's Health has been very kind to me. Men's Health Magazine for orchestrating a series of interviews I did uh, with Common. Uh, but at the time he was launching a series of YouTube videos called Commonwell, um, which talked about his own journey um, 
for wellness, talked about nutrition, talked about mindfulness, and brought in some of his friends who have helped him and inspired him along the way. And so, you know, something I learned about Common was that, you know, these same issues that all of us are thinking about when it comes to how do we reduce our anxiety? How do we um, become more productive? How do we, you know, eat nutrient dense foods? And how do we do that in a practical way? Uh, Common is this big superstar. He's thinking about the same stuff, right? And so, you know, the fact that he was able to offer his tips and his advice uh, to me, I think, in a public way can help a lot of uh, men and a lot of women who are thinking about the same questions. So tell our audience, for those who don't know Common, what would they know him most for? Common is, he's an Academy Award winning uh, songwriter. He's an actor. Uh, he's a rapper. He, he does everything. He does it all. So uh, he's, a, he's a great guy. And I'm just privileged to have had the opportunity to speak with him. So men's health is, I, I used to always, I remember going to the airport and I would always buy men's health and then i would buy i think best self which was like an offshoot of men's health it was like a similar and they got rid of best self i think it was called best self i don't know why they got rid of it but men's health is still strong so do you currently write a column for them or you did a series of interviews with common for men's health so i am on the advisory board for men's health uh, magazine i also write a column in their mind section um, of the magazine, you know, I'm active on their social media as far as helping uh, determine the direction of their mental health programming. Uh, and I think, again, Men's Health, is, as well as so many other magazines and media outlets are totally fired up about mental health and kudos to them for that. I think it's great. And also the statistics certainly don't lie. And, and I've seen this as a dad. I mean, I have four little kids or not so little going through the pandemic, some were totally fine. I have one that has really had a really tough time through it with school and being isolated and not being around people. And it's just been, so again, I think it touches so many families and it's even worse today than it was Mm. three years ago because we all went through COVID and then then kids particularly, Mm. I think we, we all had issues, right? We all had to face new challenges and I've seen it, I'd say, in the teen world, probably as much or more than it is in the, in the retiree world. Is it just tough for everybody? Is it worse for some groups? Well, I mean, I think that what's interesting is that, you know, I obviously saw patients the entire time during the pandemic. Um, and I can't say, you know, all of my patients with anxiety felt more anxious and all of my p- patients with depression felt more depressed. I mean, people had different ways that they responded to it. Uh, And I'll tell you the story that oftentimes isn't told is that a lot of people who were anxious about work felt so much better (laughs) during the pandemic because they didn't have to go into work every single day, right? Um, The other thing is some, some of my folks who had been struggling with depression, you know, they didn't necessarily find adjusting to the pandemic as challenging uh, as maybe people who hadn't struggled with that before because they'd had years of therapy under their belt and they had developed these really rich and meaningful coping strategies. And so, again, I mean, we, we've seen the statistics. Uh, a lot of people did have a hard time, but I would say that 
generalizing it based on age or based on you know mental illness or diagnosis wouldn't totally be uh, accurate. Hey y'all, it's Mallory Boggs, the producer for the Retire Sooner podcast. From an investment standpoint, the world is changing. We've gone from no inflation to hyperinflation, zero interest rates to much higher interest rates. All of this changes the dynamics for stocks and bonds. So the question for you, are your retirement accounts ready for it? Have you adapted your investments for these major shifts? Do you know what kind of income your 401k account is going to pay you in retirement? If not, maybe it's time for a new perspective. The Retire Sooner team is here to help. If you're ready to talk, reach out to our team and we'll help you take a closer look at how you can generate income in retirement and protect yourself from inflation. We'd love to hear from you. Again, find us at westmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S dot com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Can you go through kind of your multi-step process of kind of the most important pieces of the equation to yeah. keep our mental well-being in, in shape? Well, I think what's important the first thing we need to, to understand is that mental health uh, is something that impacts all of our lives. I mean, regardless of our walk in life, regardless of whether or not we're man or woman, our background, how old we are, right? So uh, again, if you're listening and you're wondering if this applies uh, to you, it does, right? So let's just get that out of the way. Um, and then the second thing, again, what I outline in my book are these five essential self-care pillars for mental health and that's sleep spirituality nutrition breath work and movement and again this these things don't just apply to people who've been diagnosed with depression or anxiety uh, these are strategies that we can all learn to optimize right through time-tested evidence-based techniques so that we can move closer to living that life of purpose balance contentment and hope a life of purpose, balance, con uh, contentment, and hope. Right. Purpose, balance, contentment, and hope. That's what, that's what mental health is all about, Wes. So purpose, balance, contentment, hope. Let's go back to nutrition just for a second. How does that factor in? Does that factor into all of that? Or tell me a little bit more about the nutrition side. So we're learning more every day about the fact that nutrition and mental illness are related, okay? And hmm. you know, studies have been conducted. There's a, a big study several years ago called the SMILES trial, which actually found that patients who were depressed that incorporated more of a Mediterranean-type diet as part of their treatment regimen actually had better outcomes. Now, there's science behind this, and one of the scientific explanations is that a Mediterranean-type diet is considered to be more of an anti-inflammatory diet. So foods rich in um, omega-3 fatty acids that you find in oily fish like salmon, mackerel, and tuna, uh, for example, right? And so we're learning more about the fact that inflammation is 
related, closely related to mental illnesses like depression, anxiety, and bipolar disorder, just as it's related to other lifestyle illnesses like obesity and hypertension and type 2 diabetes. So making small changes to the way that we eat can potentially have big effects. Now, I'm not sitting here advocating that, you know, someone who's struggling with severe depression, if they just start eating kale and oatmeal every day, that's, that's a cure, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but again, incorporating the nutrition piece with the medications if you need it, with the psychotherapy, I mean, you're putting yourself really in the best position possible uh, for recovery. I'm looking around my team here, and I, I don't we remember, guys, didn't we write about the Mediterranean diet in What the Happiest Retirees Know? I had no idea that this was a thing. I, yeah. I did a, and this is my weak spot, by the way, Dr. Brown is nutrition. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I've had some amazing guests on around nutrition. Dr. William Lee who wrote Eat yeah. to Beat Disease. Mm -hmm. I've had, you know, wonderful podcasts with him. And I'm a big, big nutrition believer. I was always in the 90, I always thought 80% of your physical health is all exercise you kind of eat whatever you want. Mm. And now as I'm older, it's like the inverse of that, in my opinion. It's like 80% diet. Right. You know, look, as long as you're taking a walk and you're not sitting for, right. for years, it, really it's diet. So I feel like I need more salmon, more mackerel, more tuna. Right. Uh, and, and that comes, uh, I love that idea too. Right. And, and it's just, it's not, it's not just that as well. I mean, I mean, if you're talking about nutrition, I mean, these like um, dark leafy greens, for example, help build the precursors for neurotransmitters like serotonin, dopamine, norepinephrine. These are important players for mental health, right? Um, we know that when people are um, persistently stressed and overworked, it can actually deplete the good bacteria in the gut and causes something called dysbiosis of the microbiome. So eating more uh, fermented foods like uh, yogurt and kimchi can actually help replete um, those good bacteria. And then the last thing I'll add is, you know, there's uh, amino acid. One of my favorite things to talk to people about when they're interested in nutrition for mental health is there's an amino acid that occurs nat naturally in green tea and black tea called L-theanine. And L-theanine is a natural anxiolytic. It's a natural anti-anxiety amino acid that some people actually take in supplement form. So a lot of these um, these qualities of nutrition that can actually benefit our mental health are things that we all have access to. We just need to learn how to eat in a way that is conducive for our best mental health. I always love the thought that we can really heal ourselves in so many ways through nutrition. And it, it doesn't get a lot of press. You know, I've, I've done this, I've done, a, I've had a holistic doctor for the better part of maybe eight, eight to 10 years who's kind of taught me that. It's still not easy to, to stay eating healthy. I was just talking to Lynn this morning saying I kind of feel like crap this week. And I was thinking about what I've been eating. And I bought candy for my kids. I did a, a mock podcast in one of my yeah. kids' classrooms. And I got them candy as like this surprise treat thing. Oh, to throw yeah, out hey, I, I won't tell anyone. It's okay. It's and, okay. and I got a giant yeah. bag of... It was Reese's Pieces, yeah. Kit Kat, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. It was all this just junk. And before I took it in, I opened it because it was a massive bag. So it was like Halloween all over again. 
three days before I go in. And I was like, you know, I've been eating like crap this week. It's because that damn bag of candy. Yeah. <laughs> I've eaten half the day. It's like five pounds. Anyway. Yeah. All right. So I'm getting off track, but I think it does matter. And I know the times when I've been clean eating or healthy or whether it's Whole30 or some sort of really, or, or just straight up Mediterranean, I just, right. I always feel better. I don't know why I stop it. Right. It's, it's, it's usually because of some sort of like holiday event. And then it throws me off track and I stay off track. Right. I mean, when it comes to balance too, I mean, we have to keep in mind, like I'm not, I'm not the type of doctor who's going to say you can't ever eat candy. You can't ever, you know, have a cheeseburger. Right. I mean, the important thing to do again, balance, (laughs) moderation. Right. And so in the book, I talk about, you know, studies have actually looked into something called the Mediterranean food score. Right. Which means basically how can you make, your diet more Mediterranean-ish, right? Eat what you normally eat, um, but make it a little bit more Mediterranean. I mean, those little effects can have drastic improvements as well. Let's go through your five ideas for this. So breathing, mindfully, sleep, spirituality, mm-hmm. um, nutrition, movement. We talked about nutrition. Let's talk about next to me where I don't do any of this would be your first step, which is this breathing mm-hmm mindfully. Let's talk about that. Breath work is the most underutilized form of medicine, right? And the reason why it's underutilized is because I think oftentimes when people are anxious, there's that annoying person in the background who's going to say, oh, just relax, take some deep breaths and you'll be fine. And we know that the only thing that does is it will piss us off and make us even more anxious, right? And so the thing about it is when we are developing a breathwork practice, what's important to understand, first of all, we take between 20 and 30,000 breaths every single day, right? But what's important to understand is that if we breathe in a way that's evidence, it's conducive with science, our body has no choice but to respond in a positive way. That's how the body is wired, right? And so one of the techniques I teach among others in the book or I talk about is something called 478 breathing, which was uh, popularized by uh, Dr. Andrew Whale. Now, you inhale for four, hold count for seven, and exhale count to eight. Now, the numbers, I'll tell you, are a bit arbitrary. Now, what's not arbitrary is that the longer exhale component, so if we exhale longer than we inhale, that activates something called the parasympathetic nervous system, right? That can have an effect of lowering heart rate, lowering blood pressure, flooding the brain with inhibitory neurotransmitters like GABA. These are all physiologic markers of rest and relaxation. So it works. How many 478s does it take to start to feel feel it? So when, I, when I'm working with patients, I usually will set a timer for about a minute, right? And I'll say, you know, when we're just starting off, because if someone's breathing at a really slow pace and they've never done it before, they're going to feel super dizzy, right? Um, just because of all the oxygen flowing in the brain. And so what I say is, you know, do, do as many as you can, you know, in the, in the first minute or so. I mean, and then try to, try to slow it down, right? Um, and usually folks will... Uh, notice that after a minute, you know, they can extend that to five minutes. And sometimes people can uh, reduce it to, you know, three, four, three rounds of four, seven, eight uh, in a minute. Right. And notice the positive uh, mental health effects they appreciate from that. 
so breathing, and then let's talk, let's talk about sleep. Yeah. So sleep and mental health have a bi-directional relationship. So if you're not sleeping well, your mental health is going to suffer. And, you know, if you're struggling with something like depression, then, you know, it's going to affect your, your sleep quality uh, as well. Right. And so, you know, again, I talk about several different techniques in the book that can improve sleep quality. Uh, but one that gets a lot of us is just improving our basic sleep hygiene. Uh, and that's a term which means that, you know, again, we want to modify the things that we can around sleep. One of those things is sleeping in a cooler room. So science shows that it's better to have the room temperature between 65 and 67 degrees Fahrenheit, which is super cold. Uh, and my wife complains about that all the time, but science is on my side whenever we have that, <laughs> that discussion, right? Um, you want to reserve your bedroom for nothing other than sleep and sex. So if you can, you know, avoid obviously eating in your room or, you know, watching TV uh, in your bedroom and then limit screen time. Right. We know that mm -hmm. that um, uh, certain wavelengths of light, right, can actually block the release of melatonin, which can make it more difficult for us to get good quality sleep. I'm exactly the same argument. Yeah. You know, I've got my thermostat on my phone. I've put it down to like 68, 67, yeah. Lynn puts it to 72. And I'm like, right. it's so right. hot in here. <laughs> How can you even sleep? So Dr. Brown is now on my side. Yes. And the whole science community is on the my side. The whole science community is on my side. It's on your side, but off blankets. It still doesn't work, but blankets. Types of discussions, but hey, you can't cool <laughs> yeah. yourself with blankets. You can stay warm with blankets. That's my, always my argument. Can't you just use more blankets? <laughs> <laughs> right. So it, it's 65 yeah. to 67, 65 to 67. That That's the sweet spot. That's pretty cold, man. It really, that's, it, that's actually cold, but I like is. it. I'm doing it that. Is. That's going to happen tonight in my house. <laughs> All right. Spirituality. Let's talk about that. Yes. I mean, I, I love talking about spirituality and the reason I mean, number one, it's evidence-based and number two, you know, when most people hear the word spirituality, the very first thing that comes to mind is, is religion. Um, but you don't have to be religious in order to benefit from a spiritual practice. Okay. And that's because spirituality West is all about connection, connecting with your inner self through something like meditation it can mean connecting with your external environment through altruism, selfless service, volunteering your time, doing something for someone else. Right. Um, and if you do happen to be religious connecting with a higher power through prayer. Now, here's what the science says, right? I, I love talking about the evidence behind these techniques because that's what really gets people um, motivated here. Yeah, and does. so the science says that when we are able to develop a spiritual practice, then we reduce activity in an area of the brain called the default mode network, right? That tends to be overly active in people who are persistently stressed out and anxious and overworked. The default mode network. Network. Yeah. So if if we have some level of spirituality, here's yet another area that I'm. I'd say I haven't spent a whole lot of time on it. We've had some great guests around meditation, mm -hmm. but I guess to some extent that is the path here. If you're not already spiritual, and or maybe not overly religious, you're saying you can find that how again? How do you find spirituality? 
And what is it? It's connection. It's all about connection. And there are different ways to connect, right? And so, you know, I'm, I'm oftentimes, you know, when I talk about meditation, when I talk about establishing that spiritual connection through mindfulness, for example, you know, some, some reporters will even reach out to me and, and they want to know, okay, so what type of meditation should I try? Is transcendental meditation better than, than silent meditation versus mantra meditation? You know, I, I tell folks again, you don't have to be a meditation expert. You don't have to be a Buddhist monk, right, to, to benefit from meditation, right? So um, it's all about, you know, finding um, a quiet place, sitting in stillness, right, focusing on your breath, acknowledging whatever thoughts you're experiencing there in the moment, and really diving into, um, diving into an environment of conscious awareness, right? And, you know, when you start meditating, that may be something you're only able to do for two or three minutes at a time before you just feel your mind is just racing out of control. Um, but in time, it does get better. And again, I've had a business part of mine meditates. I mean, he is very adamant that it's one of the most, the biggest changes he's had in the last five or six years after starting meditation is really, really, I guess I don't know exactly how it's helped him, but he says it's really made his life better just in general. Well, I mean, the thing is, you know, in the moment, first of all, um, the more you meditate, the more you start to crave that stillness, that peace, that serenity, right? But I think the other area that it helps is even when you're not meditating, just being able to go there, you know, say you're having a heated discussion with someone or you're in an environment that would normally cause a lot of anxiety. I mean, you've trained your body and your brain. I mean, you asked earlier, you know, what's the, what's the psychological way of working out, right? How do you work out your brain? Meditation is a way to do that, you know? And so, you know, you're in that heated discussion, you're in an anxiety provoking situation. It's like, okay, I can tap into my breath. I can, you know, become aware of my thoughts. Right. This doesn't have to bother me as much as it normally would. That's the power of meditation. Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. And what about movement then? Are you talking about running and, and exercising, working out? Or are you just talking about just movement in general? Movement in general. Again, you know, I would love to sit here and say exercise, exercise, exercise. But the science supports the idea of movement over exercise. Now, movement may mean exercise. It may mean hitting the gym. Right going for your runs, but it also may mean, you know, just stretching in your chair, right? Or taking a walk to the mailbox, just getting up, getting going more. You know, when we're moving our body, oxygenated blood is flowing to the brain. I mean, that helps us reach these optimal levels of neurotransmitters I spoke of earlier, like serotonin, dopamine, norepinephrine that can help, um, you know, us improve uh, our mental health. It's funny when you have an afternoon lull, it's hard to have an afternoon lull if you're up and walking, period. Right. 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 Sometimes my afternoon lull is so much that I don't want to get up and go for a walk. But if you do it, you do wake up. It's like eating an apple wakes me up. Right. The, uh, yeah. So what about this, though? You have this the way you check your email where you have these little blocks of obsessive checking of email. Tell our audience, our listeners about this. I love this. Yeah. So, I mean, when it comes to obsessionality, I mean, a lot of people think that they have OCD, 
right? Some people do, but a lot of us don't. But we do all tend to have these moments where we just obsess over stuff. So, you know, I found that it, it's useful to actually, you know, exercise some self-love, self-compassion, give yourself time to obsess, right? Maybe that is 30 minutes a day. Maybe it's an hour a day. If you're someone who obsessively checks your email, do it all, right? During that period of time, set a timer. And then when you're done, you know, move on to something else. Now, again, in time, that gets a lot easier to really create those boundaries for what you're going to obsess about. Um, I mean, it's kind of like if you know that you have an intense or an important conversation that you're going to be having with someone else, whether it's your partner or, uh, you know, a business partner, you know, if you're just avoiding that conversation, you're going to be thinking about it more. You're going to be obsessing over it. But if you schedule a time, this is when we're going to talk right? Tuesday from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m., have the conversation, get it out the way, then more often than not, the obsessionality around it uh, is reduced. Well, I think I'm still, uh, you know, every hour I, I do the quick scroll. Yeah. I think is what it depends <laughs> if I'm, yeah, I think that I'm still on the on the every hour block, which is the ding, 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 look, 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 check two, three different email accounts. But it would be nice to just do that only twice a day right? for 10 minutes, only twice a day. I'm going to promise you, I'm going to try to work on that one. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Tell me about burnout and yeah. the thought of if you're wired and tired or you don't have motivation maybe towards work or, or you find yourself in an unmotivated place, which I think happens to the most motivated of us. We yeah. don't always stay motivated around a particular area all the time. And I, and I do wonder sometimes, does that mean it's time to go? Or does it mean that there's something else happening and it's making you feel burned out and you really shouldn't be in that particular area? I think it can mean a number of different things, but I think the biggest mistake, Wes, is to ignore burnout. I mean, when we're experiencing it, it's, it's like our body or our mind's way of telling us something, right? And so pay attention to it. I mean, burnout isn't an official mental illness at this point, but there's a slippery slope between burnout and generalized anxiety disorder or burnout and major depressive disorder, right? And so maybe burnout, if you're feeling wired and tired, if you're just not feeling motivated to get up and, you know, get going with your day, um, maybe, maybe it's time for a vacation, right? Maybe it's time for a discussion with your manager, your supervisor, to see if you might be able to change your role at work or, you know, cut back on your hours a little bit. Pay attention to it because you don't want it to develop into something more significant. So again, this thought of if you're always worked up yeah, and work is you're overworking, you're overly wired, and then that is what leads to the, the, a little bit of a, bur or at, just a full on burnout, 
which it manifests though of being tired and uninterested and unmotivated. And you're saying that you'll see that if it is burnout, it's not just, ah, I'm not so sure I want to do this. It's more like you're saying it's when it starts to impact your whole life. Right, right. It's when you really need to be paying attention to that. I mean, and feel like you're burned out again, because we don't have a clear definition of what burnout actually is. Like my definition of it may be different than uh, another psychiatrist or therapist definition of it, right? But if you feel like you're burned out, then you, you probably are, right? Yeah. And so again, if that's something that you're concerned about, definitely pay attention to it. That's where really tapping into these self-care strategies can help, you know, as well, you know, focus on getting quality sleep, you know, reconnecting with nutrient dense foods, breathwork practice meditation. Sometimes that can be enough to stave off burnout. You know, and sometimes I do wonder, or the burnout, and I just think about the conversations that I would have where you do find someone who's getting closer to, let's say, retirement or the mm -hmm. ability to be able to retire. And most people don't get just enough to retire, then they stop that day. If you're planning well and you're really doing a good job and, and have some forethought around financially being in a position to be able to stop working, you typically, I see people go beyond and build more of a cushion. But that's when I maybe start to see burnout manifest itself a little bit more where you no longer have to work and you no longer have that excuse of, well, I just, it is what it is. I'm having to do this. I start to see folks get a little bit more, if there's something wrong with work, work is burning them out. Mm -hmm. They're much more open to saying, you know, this is enough. And that's a version of burnout that I've, I've seen lead people to making a call on stopping that particular job, going into either, we call the retirement gray zone, where you're kind of working part-time or just full-on retirement. And that's why we don't have to wait for burnout to happen or wait for depression to happen or wait for us to be unhappy with our job or want to throw in the towel before we think about mental health, right? So, I mean, even if you're listening and things are fine, I mean, life at some point will throw curveballs at all of us and challenge us and make us think, right? And if we already have these skills, if we've tapped into these self-care strategies before things get tough, then it'll make those challenges a lot easier down the road. One of the top core pursuits, and I think also I liken this to the path towards purpose through these core pursuits, the happy retiree camp, number one, if you have them list this out, number one on the list comes back as volunteering. And you mm. talk about altruism is good for our mental health. I've never talked about the linkage between altruism and mental health. Tell me about it. Well, I mean, it's an adaptive coping strategy. So they're adaptive coping strategies and they're maladaptive coping strategies. So if okay, I what had, are the two? Give me, give me some good examples on both. Yeah. So, I mean, if I've had a hard day at work and I come home and I say, you know, I'm just going to go out to the bar. I'm going to have 12 beers. I'm going to, you know, sink my sorrows with alcohol. I mean, I might feel better momentarily in the moment, right? Uh, but long term, that wouldn't be conducive for good physical health or good mental health uh, either, right? Um, avoidance would be considered a maladaptive coping strategy, right? And sometimes- Hey, that, I don't want to talk. Basically, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to ah. talk about it. 
Now that doesn't mean, you know, if, if it's not the right time to talk about it, you're gonna talk about it later, but if you keep sweeping it under the rug, right? It's just gonna build up and build up and build up. And then when that conversation is forced to happen, I mean, someone may explode, right? Um, so adaptive coping strategies, altruism would be one of them. Again, it gives you a sense of, of purpose. I mean, speaking of retirees, I'm, I'm thinking about my, uh, my, my late grandmother, you know, God, God bless her soul. Um, now she was someone, she was someone who every Monday, again, she didn't have a lot of money, but she'd go to her church soup kitchen and, you know, I went with her when I was a kid and we'd make soup for, you know, people who didn't have anything to eat. And, and that filled her cup. I mean, it was mm. like in that moment, she had all the wealth and riches in the world. I mean, it just totally gave her a sense of purpose. And so sometimes just finding something that you can do for someone else um, can, you know, really improve mental health and make you feel better in the moment. It really can be extraordinary when you find, in your case, literally to fill your cup. And right. you're right. When you find that, it is very, very powerful. It's not always easy to find out where that's going to be. And right. I think that's just work. It's a little trial and error, but it's so worth, it's really worth diving into figuring out what altruism works for you. Right, right. And again, that process, as we were talking about earlier, even if you don't know what it is today. I mean, getting fired up. I mean, listening to this and saying, okay, there's some seeds that were planted today. I have some ideas about some things I might want to try. I mean, that can be a powerful motivator for people and give them a sense of purpose uh, as well. Before we run, just kind of last question. How was the whole book experience for you? Writing? How long did it take? Tell me about the book part so, of your life. So it's a big for, deal. Yeah. First of all, I mean, the book was years in the making, I would say. Yeah. I mean, when I was in, we didn't spend a lot of time talking about this today, but when I was in my early 20s, I struggled with depression, right? I didn't know what it was back then. I didn't have a name for it. I just knew I didn't feel right. I wasn't talking mm -hmm. to anyone about it. Um, I was having trouble really connecting with a therapist, with a psychiatrist, um, and I serendipitously happened upon self-care without realizing that there was a whole lot of evidence to support the things that that I was already doing. Now, I wouldn't learn that until decades later that this is actually evidence-based stuff. And so, I mean, the book was, was a process that took several years to write. But again, one of the main reasons among many that I wrote the book was that as many people could receive a positive message of hope and encouragement about mental health as possible, even if they didn't have access to a psychiatrist like me or a therapist. So your psychiatrist or psychologist wasn't all working all that well, but what did? Essentially what you've outlined here today? Yeah, that, some of it. So tapping into spirituality, you know, tapping into faith, um, developing a yoga practice. I mean, yoga has been huge uh, in my life. I mean, it taught me how to breathe. It taught me how to move mindfully, right? Um, it really uh, gave me a sense of structure and purpose, you know, in, in my own life. It, yoga may not be the thing that does it, you know, for listeners or people who are reading the book. But again, there's so many different strategies that are outlined there in the book that something is going to resonate, right? And so that's what I encourage people to do is find that thing that works for them. The book is out. Go get The Self-Healing Mind by Dr. Gregory Scott Brown. 
Uh, the self-healing mind, uh, which is an essential five-step practice for overcoming anxiety, depression, and revitalizing your life. And it sounds to me, this is kind of the first conversation I've really, with the, the light bulb has gone off on keeping your brain strong, keeping your mental health, keeping your mental wellness in shape, just like we think about keeping our bodies fed with the right nutrition and, and we continue to be healthy physically as well. So I love the thought of it that way. Yes, and the book, again, the book offers a five-step workout for your mental health. That's another way to think about it, and that's something that can resonate with, with anyone. A five-step workout to mental health. I love it, man. Dr. Brown, thank you, man. This is all, very, very cool, very enlightening to me, and some real sparks went off. Uh, thank and you. And I do feel like I need, I feel like I'm guilty. I need to be drinking green tea. I need some dark <laughs> leafy greens. Um but listen, this is awesome, man. So thank you for doing what you're doing. I know it's a big balance to do work yeah. and book and interviews and all this stuff, but, uh, and teach, Yeah. but it's all worth it. And you're only 38. So if you're 38, you're going to probably be able to retire when you're like 52. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to hold you to that. I'm going to come back when I'm 52, when I'm retired and enjoying my life, <laughs> right? <laughs> It's a process what you're going through, which you probably yeah. love too. So, yeah. uh, but listen, man, thank you for everything you do. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, y'all, this is Mallory with the Retire Sooner team. Please be sure to rate and subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend. If you have any questions, you can find us at westmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and YouTube. You'll find us under the handle Retire Sooner Podcast. And now for our show's disclosure. This podcast is provided to you as a resource for informational purposes only and is not to be viewed as investment advice or recommendations. This information is being presented without consideration of the investment objectives, risk tolerance, or financial circumstances of any specific investor and might not be suitable for all investors. It is not intended to and should not form a primary basis for any investment decision that you may make. Always consult your own legal, tax, or investment advisor before making any investment or financial planning considerations. Please refer to the full disclosure in the podcast description for any additional information information.